Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of Community Services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, presenting informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host. The show episodes beginning from September 2019 can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel under the name Senior Straight Talk. And of course, they can be found and downloaded on popular podcast platforms. The show is also syndicated on the Voice America Influencers Channel. So please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. Do you have a parent 75 to 85 years of age? Do you know there is one common mistake that people make who have an older parent or loved one? They're not prepared when something happens, something that is part of the certainty that comes along with aging. So let me be your personal aging parent care plan coach in my course, The Caregiver's Guide to Caregiving the Basics. You'll be able to find information on the course once you click on the link for the free book offer on the Senior Straight Talk host page. But you can also find information on the homepage of my website, phyllisamonassociates.com, where there's a link to get free access to my blog and register for the course. The course has valuable, valuable free bonuses that go along with it. My latest book chapter in WTF to OMG with a little LOL, Unpacking Life's Hidden Lessons, was released July 19th and became a number one Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller. It features my personal story about responsibility and self-care that led me to the work I do today. The book is available on Amazon. And my previous book chapter released May 17th in Think Big, is also available on Amazon. And it's my story, my big vision about my project, my film project, which is dedicated to raising awareness about the value of older adults in our society. I'm honored to be included in this book alongside the iconic and legendary Brian Tracy and many others. Kyle Wilson, publisher, is president of Jim Rohn International. The many stories included in both books can inspire and motivate you in your business and positively impact your own personal development and growth. As the ambassador for Conscious Aging Life Management, I will help you develop your personalized longevity or wellness care plan so you can continue to age as healthfully and gracefully as you possibly can. Please email me at phyllis at phyllisaimanassociates.com for more information. The place to begin is within, and the time to begin is now. Senior Straight Talk is proud of the collaborative partnership with the Pass It On Network, a global peer learning network for positive aging advocates and a member of the United Nations Open-Ended Working Group on Aging. Senior Straight Talk and the Pass It On Network continue bringing listeners informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And now I'd like to introduce today's guest whose story is nothing short of inspirational. 
He lived with a severe disabling epilepsy, experiencing frequent and consistent grand mal seizures, which was the result of being hit on the head at a young age. His epilepsy was so severe that medical doctors advised, advised him that he would surely have an untimely and early death. He was aimless, living a life with no future, no purpose, no opportunities. But he found faith and renewed purpose in the church, which allowed him miraculously to eventually cure himself of his crippling epilepsy. From there, he went to college and fulfilled a lifelong dream of working in Hollywood. He never let his condition or anything else stand in his way, never took no for an answer, and pursued every dream and desire with an unrelentless spirit. One of his accomplishments was working on the groundbreaking show, The Golden Girls, as well as many others. He's traveled the globe, seeing the seven wonders of the world, and is pursuing a film of his book, Angels from Heaven. I could not be more proud than to introduce to you today, Jesse Fader. Well, Jesse, thanks so much for being here with me today on Senior Straight Talk. I know we met only recently, and uh, we were introduced uh, through Clarissa Burt. And uh, I was so thrilled when she introduced me to you because I talk about Golden Girls a lot uh, because NBC was so ahead of its time with that program and it's still doing so well in syndication. I was so interested in talking to you about your experience on the program. So you want to talk a little bit about that? I'll be more glad to say thank you, first of all, for having me on your program. Is uh, I really enjoy speaking and being on programs such as yours. I I appreciate that. I I mean, what you're providing, the insights and your own experience from your own personal story, which we'll get into a little later, um, I think is invaluable. So I'm so glad you could be here with me today. Well, thank you. So, uh, talk a little bit about what it was like being on the Golden Girls. I mean, you were you were with personalities that are, are true icons like Betty White and I mean all of them really so you want to talk about that a little bit I'll be glad to no it was uh, I guess it's, it's it's really exciting to be in Hollywood once you're starting out especially in the early days you seem a little bit uh, I mean I, I would I seemed a little bit uh, intimidated to a certain degree because again when you first start venturing into the motion picture industry and then you get uh, to be a part of it, uh, it really becomes exciting. And then when the excitement, uh, the excitement I should say will, will never really wear off. And it's, it's really a great place for me at that time. And I really enjoyed being where I was at that time. And it was actually to where I was and to where I went to, with my determination and the help of God, it was a miracle from what I did and where I went through. Yeah, so I we'll didn't. talk. We'll talk about a little of that that a little bit later because it. I think it's inspirational uh, for yes. so many people, and and not only to hear your own inspiration that came from your own success and your own story. But, um, you know, personalities that are bigger than life that we that have come to become bigger in life, but they were bigger. They were big 
pretty big personalities at the time, like Betty White and B. Arthur and Rue McClanahan. McClanahan, right. Um, Yeah. um, Talk a little bit about that. I mean, what was your experience seeing them interact and and dealing with some of these topics that were so ahead of its time, I think. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? My experience was really enlightening for me because uh, I did manage to, I was in electronic production, by the way, and uh, what I was doing is working on uh, working on the set itself. I was a, a NABIT member, which is a National Association of Broadcasting Employees and Technicians, and it was really a, a great opportunity to also meet meet the four golden girls and to work with them. And especially, you know, I, I really had to say that um, I don't want to be partial or anything of that sort, but uh, Betty White was a, a really wonderful woman. You know, I've heard that. I've Betty, heard that she was an extraordinary person, period. Yes, you, you, you heard right. <laughs> she was a wonderful woman, and she, she was a pleasant woman to work with. Some of the things that... Uh, really stand out, I should say, is when you're working with people and then it's how they treat you, I should say. If they treat you well, then you're going to be really remembering all of that and you really want to uh, work with people like that forever. They were, all of the Golden Girls were, were super women and they were just wonderful to work with. And sometimes sometimes when we're doing you know, sh- shoots and and. <laughs> You had to do many, many takeovers, I should say. It, it, it does become somewhat tiring, but then again, it's it's still so much fun to be with those girls at the time. And, you know, it's it's how they would really put their, their heart and their devotion into what they were doing. Mm. Because they were, I think you, you can tell by all four of them that they were there in their their goal was to really help please the audience they want because Golden Girls was also filmed in front of a live audience. And uh, there were many people there watching while they were you know, doing the show. But you could see that they had their hearts into what they were really doing. You know, I, I've heard this uh, through the years. I, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has heard this, but um you know, Betty White's character was kind of a ditz, right? <laughs> you would describe her as kind of the character is kind of a ditzy character. But in order to play a ditzy character, you have to be extraordinarily smart. I've heard that many times through the years. What's your take on that? Well, I'd say she was a very intelligent lady and she she was very, very outgoing. That's a good way of putting it because she had a very outgoing personality and she was so so polite and so kind all the time um i remember a few times that we would uh, have lunch i mean not me and her but the the crew would have lunch and what would happen is we'd be having our lunch as we always do and then sometimes a few times uh, betty white did come out and wanted to make sure that now, did you guys get enough? Are you all taken care of? And she'd say things like, well, if you don't, if you didn't get enough, you let me know. 
and I'll take care of you. But she was so warm and tender, I should say, as a human being. And she was such a sweetheart to the cast and crew. Yeah, you know, she was, she, was, she was around for a very, very, very long time. I remember her, um, and I don't know how many of the listeners would, would know this show, or maybe some of them do, or, or if they would remember it, but I remember her first. Um, and, and she may have predated this, but I remember her from a show called What's My Line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Right. With Alan Ludden, who, and I think that's how they met, right? And um, was that how they, I think that was how they met. Um, and, and then they, they, they married and it was a true love affair as far as I understood. And then um, after that law, she never married again, as far as I know. Is that correct? Well, as far as I know, but I I, I don't want to say specifically because I don't I don't know her right her marital status. But uh, again, yes. But uh, yeah, she had very I, deep I, love in her heart. That's how I always heard about her. That not only for him, but she was that kind soul and had a very deep love in her heart for everybody. And so, what you're yeah. describing kind of says speaks to that. Oh, definitely. It's like going back, yeah. So let me ask you this. What about, um, because they dealt with some very sensitive issues for that time. Now, of course, it's very different, right? Um, it's almost like anything is fair game, it seems. But at that time, with some of the more sensitive topics that they dealt with, whether it was, you know, uh, you know, as a single woman or a divorced woman being with a man and, um, you know, how, how was, um, how, how, I know they were all professional, but were, were there ever discussions about, well, is this appropriate or it, it, because it was so ahead of their time? I mean, that's what keeps coming to mind. So I, I, I guess I've asked that question a couple of times, but can you speak to that at all? Well, uh, not not really, because uh, again, we were not really, uh, um, I should say, into uh, personal conversations huh, on the set. There, we were just uh, doing the actual electronic production that uh, was required to be done, and in reality, when the uh, when the stars, I should say, were back in there. And they're little, they had little uh, areas for makeup and areas of their own where they had, had uh, gone during the during the set, I should say. We didn't really get a whole lot of chance to sit down with them and have consultations or or uh, personal conversations, I should say, because their focus was really on work. <laughs> right. Doing the the Golden Girls. So what would, you, what would you say, I mean, you described Betty White as being a tremendously warm and caring person from what I get. Um, and of course, we only see it from what we saw on television, right? And so we don't really um, get it. It's a different feeling, I think, than, than when you're in person, even though you were there from the technical aspect of it. Um, how do those two things differ? Can you describe it? Or well, it's like uh, you're you're there watching, I should say, the entire uh, 
show, I should say, you're you're watching the, the takes, the cuts, and then et cetera. You're you're just uh, really happy and excited to be there. Uh, you can see how these four women actually put their their hearts into what they're doing, and that's why the show was so was so popular and so successful. But it's it's just a uh, a great it was a great opportunity for me at that time to be working with him. Of course, I did work on many other different shows. That was my next question. <laughs> that was where I was going next. What other shows have you worked on? <laughs> well, I worked on It's a Living, uh, One Big Family. Um, worked over at uh, Whit Thomas Productions. Uh, I also was hired at um, 20th Century Fox. And worked on, those are motion pictures, mostly at 20th Century Fox, you know, with, uh, worked on The Fly <laughs> and different different programs. The Fly, I remember yeah. that one. Yeah, <laughs> but it was uh, such a wonderful, wonderful time because, you know, I'd also go into, um, at that time, uh, The Love Boat. The Love uh, Boat. Yeah. So it was uh, a great opportunity at that time. The Love Boat was ahead of its time also, was it not? Well, Love Boat was an Aaron Spelling Productions, and they were located on the 20th Century Fox. And it was a great uh, – I, I still watch it today, actually, <laughs> because I, I, I like the program so much. But uh, it was really a, a great program. And still is, I should say. Right. I, I mean, you know. I, I think that, and, and one of the reasons that I'm, which I think I told you in a private conversation, why I'm so interested in the Golden Girls. And when Clarissa Burt um, sent me your information, I was just, I was just thrilled is because, because it was so ahead of its time and dealt with so many issues that are important to older adults that are not really being dealt with now. And I actually do have a, a concept for a television show. It's not a situation show uh, or a situational comedy, um, but I have pitched it to a few people and um, I'm in the process of, of talking to somebody about putting it on some even little network, right? Just to get it started. But I do believe that there are so many older older adults. I mean, Actually, nowadays, and now it's, um, I think it's 100 million people over the age of 50 in this country, and 10,000 people a day turning 65 between now and yeah. approximately 2034. And there's nothing really out there that's addressing the concerns and issues in a direct way with that audience. And sure. Because I come from that space, I'm Trying, I've conceived something which I think addresses those issues head on. I don't mean a television commercial. I mean, Golden Girls did in this situational comedy kind of situation, but not in any exchange, real conversation between people. Um, those were characters. Mm -hmm. So that's, I've always referred to the Golden Girls. When I pitch my idea to someone, I say, NBC was ahead of its time in 1985 
with the Golden Girls. And by the way, it's still doing very, very well in syndication. And not only with older adults, by the way, with younger people as well, which, which tells me that these issues are of interest to people. Oh, I would say so also, like, uh, just in relation to something like that that we're referring to is, uh, that kind of reminds me of I Love Lucy <laughs> with uh, Lucille Ball. Right. That was a family program also. And that was actually one of the highlights that I did have that I do remember when I was on the Golden Girl set. And that's when Lucille Ball actually came in. She oh. came in and she sat right there in the bleachers. And I came in, I came, I was there, but I, I walked up, up there and just asked her if I could have her autograph and sat down next to her. I did get her autograph. I wish at that time I had a cell phone, but cell phones were not really used at that time. <laughs> I would have had a picture with her, but I didn't get the picture, but I did sit down with her. Uh, and what was she like? Her. Oh, she was just an average, <laughs> normal person. Uh, she was, she sat down there. I, I remember it very well. I mean, I remember what she was actually wearing. She, she had a red blouse. She had white slacks and she was wearing sandals. Cool. And uh, she was so sweet and so nice. I just sat down there with her and asked her an autograph and just talked with her a little bit. And then I had to get back to, to work doing what I was doing. But it was. I, I think if I, I could be wrong, but as I remember it, when Lucille Ball, when she was, when uh, the, uh, what was it called? I forgot. Was it called the Ricardos? No, it wasn't called the Ricardos. It I was, Love Lucy. <laughs> I Love Lucy was the show. And um, I think it was one of, the one of the first times that they showed a woman pregnant. Oh. That was a very, very big deal because obviously pregnancy implied that two people <laughs> consummated their marriage and or relationship. And uh, I don't think it had been shown previous to that. So, I mean, there were a lot of situations in these situations, comedies that really broke ground that people aren't really aware of that laid the way for where we are today. Yeah. Yeah, this. Uh, that would also be in the category of where at that time when they were do, doing I Love Lucy, they had separate beds <laughs> and right. they showed them sleeping together. Correct. Yeah. And they were twin beds, if I remember correctly. That's correct. Yeah. Right. Just like on Dick, the Dick Van Dyke show, always had twin beds. Correct. Well, anyway, mm -hmm. we're going to take a break on Senior Straight Talk. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about your personal journey which I think is a great inspiration for anyone at any age, actually. And I don't know what age you are, but I'll be 70 in a couple of months. And I know oh. that I've met many, many people who feel at this point in their life, like they're done or they're finished or other people say they're done or they're finished or have had their own conceptions of what those people should do, right? An older person. And I think your story can be so inspirational for anybody at any age. So we'll be right back on Senior Straight Talk to continue this wonderful conversation with, with Jesse Fighter.
Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the host at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk. So we're here again with Jesse, and I have to apologize because I have a more correct pronunciation of his name. I made an error uh, in the last segment, and it's Feeder, not Fighter. So we're here again with Jesse Feeder and hearing this wonderful story about his work on the Golden Girls. But even, I think for me, more inspirational is his personal story, which I wanted him to share. So Jesse, you want to talk about that a, a little bit and, and um, say how you overcame or were so determined to overcome some of your personal and medical challenges, I'll call them, to do the work that you were able to do and be successful for such a long period of time? Sure. Um, well, <clears throat> my story is quite a long story, so I'll try to condense it so I can get it in as That's much as okay. I can. <laughs> But uh, what happened, I guess, from my early childhood is when I was 10 years old, I was struck in the head with a baseball. And unfortunately for me, I encountered epilepsy. So I sometimes get emotional talking about it because I reminisce about the horror that I had to go through. But my life at that time was over a period of 15, 16 years, I was experiencing many grand mal seizures over time ending and staying in hospitals. Most of my life was in and out of hospitals. Uh, I, I was also sent to Camarillo State Mental Hospital where I was put there because my seizures became so severe they were turning into grand mal and they wouldn't stop. So the life, lifestyle that I had was again living in hospitals, away from my family, becoming emotionally disturbed. Uh, spent two years in a boy's home in Lake Elsinore, California. And uh, what happened is over time, I just became a, a helpless individual with nothing in life to live for, nothing to do, um, except wait till I end up uh, dying because of grand mal seizures. I was going to be... Uh, expected to live at a time period where I only had two months to live because I was going to be supposedly dying of epileptic brain death because too many seizures will destroy the brain cells to where you will end up dying. But uh, I, I tried everything in life that I could think of, but I just was getting nowhere. I didn't want to live with the fact that, um, I'm going to be living with epilepsy with no known time period and never not knowing when a seizure is going to occur. So I had no life living on disability. 
no job. Uh, I was just walking the streets, living with my father with nothing to do except to have seizures. And then my mother decided to take me to church. So she took me to a church called Garden Grove Community Church at the time, which was also the former Crystal Cathedral in Garden Grove, California with Dr. Robert Schuler. So that's where I started my journey and everything just started turning around in a 360 degree angle. And I, again, I had nothing to do. So I was 23, 23 years of age at the time. And I decided to start college. I don't know why, because <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. My first semester of college, I had one withdrawal, one incomplete, and I completed one unit. <laughs> now, most people are not going to continue college after that. Correct. But the bottom line is I spent the next eight years in college to get a four-year degree. And I ended up getting a degree in a bachelor's degree in communications and broadcasting. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting because, well, yeah. I read this, that, that you always had this dream of working in Hollywood. So uh-huh. I, I'm assuming that that's what led you on that path. But for somebody who was having these grand mal seizures to think about going from that to working in a communications business like that, where the demands are so great and you have to always be on, must have been like a huge leap, I'm thinking. Well, yeah, you're thinking right. That's a very tremendous leap. To uh, it's it's a a goal that somebody can reach for. It's, it's also a challenge, but uh, anybody can be faced with a challenge, but they have to complete that challenge to to be successful. And at that time, at that time when I got my bachelor's degree, and I was still just uh, an individual going to college. Going to I mean going to college at that time, but I was still attending my church services, where again, I started meeting people. I started to be around uh, an environmental society where I was turning my life totally around, but I was still on medications. But when I started attending church, um, the biggest fear that I had was having a seizure in what was known at the time was a singles group that I was attending after my church service. That was my biggest fear because I didn't want to be, a, I didn't want to have a seizure. And in a sense, I was afraid of them not wanting me back again because who wants to be around a person with epilepsy? I, I could imagine, I could imagine that thought process. I mean, see, it seems reasonable, right? Like it's a fear, I would assume. It is a total fear. But to summarize all that up is um, the last seizure that I ever had in my life was right there at Garden Grove Community Church, known as the Crystal Cathedral. Since then, I've never had a seizure ever. So so that almost sounds like a a medical miracle. How did your, I assume you were under the care of doctors. How do they account for that? They have no idea how it happened because, again, there is no cure for epilepsy. Right. And... What happened is my case was so severe uh, when I was younger that they were expecting me to die anyway. But when I started attending church, I just put my faith in God. And when I, upon doing that, 
Uh, I was taking three medications at the time, but I have not been taking medications for over 33 years. I mean, I I'm, not have epilepsy. I'm just, I'm just blown away. I mean, as somebody who's worked um, over 40,000 hours in long-term care. So that's my entire career, professional career. Um, my specialty was working with people who had dependent on mechanical ventilation, respirators or trachs or COPD or other respiratory conditions. So that was really my original specialty and passion to tell you the truth. But I mean, um, I mean, I, I just can't even wrap my head around how that was just it. So let me ask you this question. So you had, let's say this quote unquote last seizure or this one seizure, let's call it. How did you determine to stop taking medication or at what point after that seizure did you decide to stop taking medication? Well, I was there when I had that last seizure, which was in 1977. It was in 1988 where I just said to myself, uh, uh, I, it's been over 11 years now and I've never had a seizure. <clears throat> so I've never had a seizure and I, I, I owe that to, I owe it to the Lord because I believe that I've been cured. And in 1988, I just decided to turn my, <clears throat> my faith and my belief that I did not have epilepsy anymore. And I just went with my faith in God. And oh. that's how I <clears throat> stopped taking medication. That's extraordinary. So let me ask you this question. I mean, and, and it may be a counterintuitive question, which is because if you put your faith to that degree in what, whether it's whatever people associate with as being God or the universe, whatever that faith power is, let's say, um, I guess once you do that, there is no, I don't want to say turning back, but there is no, there is no doubt in a way. Um, you just have to have complete faith and just mm -hmm. go with that. Yeah, that's what I did. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Just, just terrific. So let me ask you this question. Because you said that um, epilepsy destroys brain cells, have you ever had any kind of MRI or, or any kind of brain study to, to see what, what the difference was, let's say, or from the time you were having seizures to to where you are, were later on in life or where you are now, because you obviously were able to have a job and learn and function. And so how was that determined that you were capable, let's say, of doing that? Well, it's, it's uh, what, what I went through is a, a time period where, again, other, other areas of my life were affected because of the epilepsy, because I had a antisocial personality. Mm -hmm. I was not I was not around people, period, because all, all those years you don't want to be around people many times because you're afraid of what they're going to think if you have a, a seizure. So at that time I had to overcome all of that over a period of time, which in my life just kept getting better and better and better for the things that I was doing and accomplishing. I just would never, never give up on what I was doing because I had such a 
fulfillment of accomplishment in my life. And I didn't focus that much on epilepsy anymore because I was not having seizures. So I just felt that I'm not having them. And my belief is I don't have it anymore. And I just put my trust in God that he would take good care of me. And that's why it, what I decided afterwards is the things that I did and the things that I accomplished. I mean, I was a, a streetwalker living on $267 a month of disability income. And from what I did, from where I was and from where I am now, and what I did and accomplished is a miracle. I even went to school in London, England, living on disability income. And that's not easy to do. No, and it's not. It's quite, I mean, a, quite a job that I did. <laughs> I worked with the BBC in England, and I worked with the IPA. Uh, but from everything else that I did, uh, I went from walking the street to getting a car and a driver's license. <laughs> Uh, I managed to get myself into the motion picture industry through a very unique ways that I did it. So I have uh, two questions. One is, I'd love to hear the unique ways. But my first question before that is because you said you had a car and a driver's license. And how were you able to clear that hurdle? Because I'm sure you had to, part of your medical history would lead one to believe that they might not be able to get behind the wheel of a motor vehicle. Yeah, that's correct. But once uh, the Department of Motor Vehicles has a rule and regulation that if you have not had seizures from the past two years, you have to wait a two-year period. At that time, I don't know what it would be now. But at that time, as long as I did not have a seizure for two years, I was able to get a driver's license. Oh, and so that's interesting. Now, does that mean even if you're on medication or not on medication? Either way. That's correct. Okay. Either way. Okay, so that's mm -hmm. good news. So now I'd love to hear about how you landed this position in, in a way that you described as being, let's say, unconventional or atypical. Can you talk a little bit about that? Of how I got into the motion picture industry? Uh-huh. Well, I'm a very, very persistent person, <laughs> and uh, I, I have mentors that you know I've used and I have looked at throughout my life, such as Helen Keller, blind, deaf, and dumb. And, you know, if she can do it, I can do it. And then our pastor has many or had many famous quotes that I always just kept in my mind and kept in my memory that I've written in my book, but. He would say, tough times never last, but tough people do. Inch by inch, anything's a cinch. Walt Disney says, if you can dream it, you can do it. Correct. Yeah. And then the quote of a quitter never wins and a winner never quits. Right. So I just kept those in my mind. And then what I, I my, my father always taught me, he said, you got to do things that are different. So... If you do something that's different, you're, it's going to make you look out as a different uh, person, I should say. You're going you're gonna to catch someone's eye. So anyway, going back to how I got into the motion picture industry, I learned on how to join certain organizations. I joined a NABIT, first of all, and that's how I got on many of the sets. And then I would always 
I found a contact after I started getting on these sets, getting to know more people in Hollywood. Then I found a contact at 20th Century Fox. And what I did there is I would call him about once a week. And then I would not, I would just wouldn't give up because I wanted to go to work in, in a major studio. So sometimes it would be twice a week, but I said, I'm not giving up. And I didn't want to be a nuisance or anything, but I made it to the point of where I kept calling. And then I came home one time and sure enough, there's a um, message on my machine. <laughs> and that message was from 20th Century Fox, the contact. He said, oh, can you please come into the, into the studio tomorrow? I'd like to interview you. And, um, and he said, uh, he left this message. I should say on my machine, it's not me talking to him, but he said, can you come in tomorrow? I'd like to interview you. And also you were the only person that ever called me back that many times. <laughs> <laughs> he said, no one's ever done that before. And he said, I like that. And then another, another unique, unique way that I also, because a lot of times when you're working in the studios, I should say, and like the movie is over with, once it's completed, well, then technically they don't need you anymore. So you have to call back on a list and get your name back on. But anyway, uh, another way that I, I was interviewed, I should say, was I also found another contact at Disney. And when I found a contact at Disney, then what happened is I, I did the same thing, but I thought of a different method to use in Disney because it was a different, I just, I just came up with it. And then what I did is I, my dad was an artist, so I was living with my father at the time and he painted, or it's not painted, he, he wrote on a letter that I wrote, he said it was Mickey Mouse filming Minnie Mouse behind the camera. Cool. And then uh, he would say, you know, Minnie, it was sure hard to get into the motion picture industry because we would always keep getting a no. And then she would say, yeah, Mickey, but for every no we got, we got... <laughs> We came that closer to a yes. <laughs> yeah, for every no we got, we came that much closer to a yes, and we finally got in. So I'm explaining to them that I'm getting no's, but I'm gonna, I'm not gonna stop. Right, right, right. So I'm. Uh, I, 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 I wrote another kind of, one. <laughs> I, not to interrupt you, but I think we kind of have that in common because I'm pretty persistent myself, and. Mm -hmm. um, so I can relate to that for sure. And, and that is what it takes sometimes. Not everybody has the stomach for that or the, yeah. the, uh, the determination or the grit for that. Uh, but because it's not easy, would you say that it's not easy? Oh, it's definitely not easy. But it, the more creative you can be, the more better off you're going to do in life. Because, again, it, it's creativity that will give you, make you stand out especially if you're trying to get for a job, most people will fill out an application and wait to be called. Right. Well, that's not me. Right. And you're very unlikely you're going to be called. Even if you have the best credentials in town, you may be overqualified. But if you can show creativity in trying to do something that will 
stand out, then that's how you're going to end up getting much more of what you want in life. Yeah. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think, um, as I said, you know, when, when we spoke that one of the reasons I think this is so important is especially, and I think I said it earlier, is as people want to maybe embark on a second career or pursue their passion, I call it the third act of life. Um, I wrote a, excuse me, I wrote a blog um, a while ago that said, um, are you been told to, have you been told to exit stage left? So, I mean, it's so interesting. I'm talking to you from that world. I certainly had no intention. I didn't even know you or of you then at that time, but I was thinking about, it's almost as if people have been told, listen, the curtain has come down on you, your life, your act, whatever you were doing and exit stage left, you're done. And, um, you know, I see it very differently. It doesn't have to be, but it's up to the person to embrace that and find a way and pursue their passions and have the grit and the determination if they really want to do that. And so that was another reason I really wanted to talk with you because I think it's such an important message for older adults, I'll say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, bottom line is that uh, when I was interviewed, uh, because I had written two other letters that were similar to the Mickey Mouse. I did Donald Duck and Goofy. And then when I was interviewed at Disney, I came in for the interview. And then when I was interviewed, being interviewed by the uh, representative, the three letters that I had sent are sitting right on her desk. Oh, awesome. So I'm going to uh, tell you now, there are some people that might know or I don't you know, hopefully they do know because I've put it out there and I've talked about it and I've also written about it because I have this determination, call it a burning desire. Napoleon Hill calls it a burning desire uh, from Think and Grow Rich uh, to have a film made. And it's based on two novels, uh, one of which it was originally based on one. I read it almost, I think, two or three years ago. I didn't know the person who who wrote the novel at the time. And it is about elder wisdom and wise leadership and community and all of those things. And when I finished it, I said, this is a feature film. Now, I know nothing about the motion picture business, that industry, mm -hmm. zero, zippo. But I just kept saying, so it's almost like a faith thing, like what you were saying. I kept saying, how do you buy the rights to a book? How could I meet this person? How do you do this? I was looking it up and looking. I spoke to everybody I knew about this thing. And sure enough, on a totally unrelated conversation, I happened to mention the person's name. His name is uh, Dr. Bill Thomas. And the person said to me, I connected with him through a webinar that I watched. And he said, oh, I know. I know, Bill. I'll introduce you to him. And so he did. And um, I didn't mention anything to him for a very long time. I interviewed him on my podcast. In my space, he's a thought leader. He's a visionary. He was called a visionary by the Wall Street Journal in the early 2000s. He's a pretty brilliant guy. And it wasn't until, um, I guess it's a little about a year and a half ago that I first mentioned to him this idea about this film. And it sounded like a kooky idea. Like I was a speech pathologist in a nursing home. Like, what are you talking about, right? Anyway, and then a few months later, I met him and I told him again. And I think it's similar to a little similar to what you were talking about, because 
I just kept talking about it. So you're putting it out to the universe and then things finally come to you. Well, now I'm at the point where I have a screenplay writer, an award-winning screenplay writer willing to write the screenplay, a film producer interested in it who's reading uh, not the first book, but the second one, the sequel, which I think is really more of the story and more relevant for today's times, although it still has the, this essential theme that the first one does. And um, I have a FundMe page to raise money for the screenplay. And I say almost every day or every other day, I am determined, I don't know how, but by hook or crook, this film is going to be made because I believe it's important to elevating the conversation about the value we have for older adults and how we care for them and treat them. So I'm going with you about having faith and, um, and just putting it out there and doing things in, in very in creative ways and making contacts and not giving up and being persistent uh, because you can make things happen. Absolutely. We have something in common because I'm in the same category because I'm making a movie also out of my story. Oh, Angel cool. From heaven. And mm -hmm. I didn't even know that. So before we go, I, how can people either reach you? I know you do some speaking, uh, read your book, find out about you and your books. How would they get in touch with you or find out any of that information? Well, my website currently is angelsfromheaven.site, S-I-T-E. And that's where they can read about uh, my bio, my information, and my book is right there. Um, it's Jesse Fedor, and my, the name of the book is um, Angels from Heaven, My Miraculous Cure from Epilepsy. And it has the whole story of a lot more details of what we've been talking about, how I got into Hollywood, how I've traveled all over the world, and not bad for a guy living on disability, ready to die, how it changed my life all the way around. I mean, I've seen all the seven, all the 14 wonders of the world, huh. how much I've traveled. I, I, I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable to me that I was able to connect with you because, like I said, we didn't even discuss this part of it, right? But right. It, it obviously was meant to come together. So I'm sure we'll have follow-up conversations about all of this because I could probably uh, – use your wise counsel because it's clear that you have a lot of it. Yep. I, I just won't give up on anything that I'm working on. That's why I already know that it's, it's going to be made in movie, my book, and uh, it's going to be a, a Christian movie. So cool. I'm looking forward cool. to completing that. Cool. Uh, I was just two weeks ago, I was on the 700 club. Cool. Yeah. And that's, that wasn't easy to do neither. And it's also a mir another miracle took place actually getting on that, that uh, program because they wanted it, they had to have verification of my epilepsy mm -hmm. because it was so long ago, I contacted almost all the hospitals that I'd been at and none of them had those medical records anymore because they don't keep them that long. But there was one hospital that did, Loma Linda. They said they didn't have them. But I told you, I wouldn't give up. I want to speak to a manager. And I spoke, I went above her head and went up, and sure enough, they found him. 
Cool. Fifty-five years. You're 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 my kind of guy because um, you know there are a lot of people that um, you know they they like. I always say they they see me coming again and they say, "Oh my goodness, (laughs) you know, she comes again." But um, it's always for good. It's not for um, for anything nefarious, and and it's not always for me. I mean, I did that when I was in when I worked in nursing homes because it was about providing better care, and I just wouldn't give up. So uh, obviously that's part of my spirit and uh, we, we have that in common. And, and I do want to talk to you about, about this film project and, and also about the television show. Like I said, I, uh, I, I even went, I'll just tell you to, there's a local, there's an NBC uh, media center. It's not an affiliate, a media center, not far from me. And um was it last year or earlier this year? I think I just went there and I decided I was going to pitch a television show. <laughs> like, like who does that? Right. But I think as a result of that, I made one contact after another, after another, after another, and I'm not giving up on this idea. And people tell me it's a great idea. So if it's a, it's not a cookie idea, it's a great idea. Then, then for sure, I'm going to stick with it. But um, um, just what? That's the same with me because I've had so many comments and cards that were sent to me after people read my book. When they read it, they said that uh, they just couldn't put it down and they had to finish it. And then they also said it brought many tears to my eyes. That, that's a beautiful after, thing. After reading the book. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful thing. And, it, and if, it, if it helped even one person, yes. then it, that's, a, that's a, a beautiful thing. And that's what I want to do encourage other people that are in the same or similar circumstances that I was in, never give up and you can overcome it. I I'm with you 500%. So Jesse, this has been just fantastic. And thanks for taking the time from your busy schedule for me today. I mean, we just, we just got in touch a few days ago and I'm, I'm just so thrilled that you were able to make time for me. So thanks so much. It's really been a privilege and an honor uh, truly to have a conversation with you. Please join me on the next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And this is Phyllis Amon signing off for today. Please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.